Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast, Tropics, and the newly launched Sunburst Chico, are now offering free overnight shipping on domestic orders of $1,000 or more. All California orders ship free. Berkeley Yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Everybody knows that yeast plays one of the most important roles in brewing, no matter the style and recipe you choose. Yeast simultaneously influences flavor, aroma, acidity, brightness, and mouthfeel and brewing a lager is no exception. Discover our entire SAF lager range at fermentus.com, where you'll find yeast for traditional to modern style lagers. What you're about to hear originally aired in July of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Tourists and people would often find one of the monks on a forklift driving down this little cobblestone road, um, trying to move our grains back and forth, or cleaning chemicals, or, or whatever it may be. You never know who you're going to run into at a Master Brewers conference. During the 2016 World Brewing Congress, I met a couple of beer-brewing monks from Italy. This week on the show, we hear their story and talk about monastic brewing. Hi, I'm Father Martin Bernhard, and I am a monk of the Monastery of St. Benedict in Norcia. And I work at the brewery, and, sell, and we sell beer in Norcia. I'm Brother Augustine Wilmoth. I'm originally from South Carolina. I'm the brewer for our monastery's brewery, and I've been in the monastery for about six years. It's been said that Benedictine monks are responsible for creating beer as we know it. I've read they may have been the first to boil wort. Also, the first documented link between hops and brewing came out of a Benedictine monastery in northern France. Before we talk about your adventures and the future of monastic brewing, tell us more about the past. Monks are responsible for many of the great things we have in life. Like, you have Dom Perignon, who kind of created champagne. You have the Cistercian monks who mapped out some of the best vineyards in Burgundy and Bordeaux. Uh, Similarly with beer, I think you have monks dedicated to their way of life and the, the passion for quality and the patience it takes over the years, over 
each generation of yeast, each batch of barley, you know, everything, everything kind of converged. Monks were able to bring together agriculture and whatever science they had at the time. And I think they, they brought that also to beer and kind of elevated it and made it, made it an art form in a way that may, may have not been before. Why, why do so many monks brew beer? It's, it's important to remember that in the history of um, the monastic culture and the history of the West, that towards the, the fall of the Roman Empire, um, by the 5th and 6th century, um, the West was, was in kind of shambles in terms of a society, and monasteries began to really pop up and became, the monasteries became a place of stability and a place of culture. Um, of reading, writing, and of agriculture, and also at times when uh, water was polluted or hard to come by. Um, in those centuries, the monks um, began to boil um, the water, began to make beer as well because it was it was sterile, it was safe to drink. Uh, the monks also had a culture of, of fasting, um, not only during Lent, but also in periods outside of Lent. And the beer uh, could function as a supplemental beverage to their diet. Uh, so the, the monastic life in and of itself creates an, a fitting atmosphere to take the best things that nature has to offer and make the best out of them. It's part of the vocation of a monk to see all of creation as being part of the handiwork of God and to try to take care of it, to cultivate it, and to, to bring forth the fruits of it, to make something good out of it. So beer kind of ended up fitting right along into that narrative uh, in the West over the centuries. I think, too, it seems to me like, at least in the modern era, uh, many monasteries, it's not that they jumped on to the bandwagon, but as, as with industrialization, um, breweries, you know, any industry could get its goods to more and more places more and more quickly. I think the monasteries jumped on to the to the growth in brewing and really went into brewing and really made it something way bigger than just the beer necessary for the community. They did that for, I wouldn't say commercial reasons, but they did it to support themselves economically. After the religious wars, the French Revolution, monasteries maybe didn't have as much help from from royal families, from the king, from endowments. So they had to turn to different ways to support themselves. And I think brewing had, has proved to be very helpful for the monasteries to stay afloat. The annual Master Brewers Conference is coming up in October, but every four years, Master Brewers joins forces with ASBC, IBD, the Brewery Convention of Japan, and the European Brewing Convention for what's known as the World Brewing Congress an event that is hands down the best brewing conference on the planet. I was at the 2016 World Brewing uh, Congress in Denver, and Father Martin, so were you. I, f I found myself walking around at the conference wondering, hey, what are those guys dressed like Benedictine monks doing here? Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to what happened the following week in a bit, but first tell us how a couple of Benedictine monks ended up at the last WBC. Well, our brewery was. Um still young at the time, and um, many of the monks here at our monastery in Italy um, are American, and we happened to come across this advertisement for the World Birds Congress, and we had been looking for um, ways to, to make broader connections in the brewery world, and um, 
to learn more as well. And it sounded really fascinating and interesting. And we thought that we asked our prior, our, our superior of the monastery, if, um, if he thought it was a good idea, we go to try to meet meet new people and make new connections in the beer world because we're, we're contemplative monks. So we we generally live in the monastery and, and try to leave the enclosure as, as little as necessary. Um, so we, we, um, but we thought that this, this adventure, this, this outing to the, to the Congress in Denver would, um, perhaps, perhaps, uh, bring, bring new insights, um, to, to our brewery and to our lives as, um, brew monks. So, so we decided to go and we had a great time. I think back to how challenging it can be to build a brewery and most people aren't attempting to do that in a centuries old structure or while simultaneously observing the rule of St. Benedict. Tell us about your unique journey of starting a brewery from the ground up. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. And and to add to that, our, our monastery um, was in the middle of this, this old uh, city that's more than 2,000 years old, Norcha. And um, the streets are very small and tiny. So to get um, even pallets of grain or machines into the brewery area was was just an incredible feat. And we, we renovated the, the lower kind of basement portion of this thousand year old monastery. And we created uh, extra doorways and entryways onto the street and used um, uh, elevator platforms. Uh, to uh, lift up the pallets and things to the street, and then we would use a small uh, forklift to then drive to the to the ancient city gate. So um, tourists and people would often f- find one of the monks on a forklift driving down this little cobblestone road, um, trying to move our grains back and forth, our cleaning chemicals, or or whatever it may be. Um, getting the bottling machine and getting the fermenters in that was. <laughs> <laughs> Big, big feet. So it was, it was, yeah, it was quite an adventure, but we pulled it off with a lot of patience. The first beers came out of Bira Norcia in 2012, I believe. How did you decide what to brew? And did you feel bound by any specific monastic brewing traditions or styles? Well, ever since we were founded, we, we would normally drink beer on feast days and on Sundays when there was a special celebration for a saint or one of the feast days throughout the year. And we would try to get Belgian monastic beer when we could. That was, of course, the best beer in the world. So when we had the idea to start the brewery, kind of the inspiration for the style was uh, Belgian, if I can say the word Trappist, uh, monastic beers. Those were really inspiration for us. And we wanted we wanted beers that were different and also uh, crafted to kind of suit Italian tastes. But, but within that vein, within that family, but a new interpretation. Why don't you tell us about the beers? What, what, what are the, the, the different types of beers that you, the, the first beers that came out? Tell us about, describe them. So we have two beers. We have a blonde. In Italian, it's pronounced Bionda. It's uh, 6%. We brew it mostly with Pilsner malt and a few other special ingredients. It's a pretty pale, blonde, you know, Belgian style. It has a lot of uh, aromatics, some sort of spicy mm, esters from the, from the yeast that we use, several different yeasts that we put into it, and a little bit of lemon, uh, kind of citrus, 
notes that I would say come predominantly from the hops that we use. We use noble European hops. And the blonde beer, we, we kind of pitched it as a replacement for white wine. That is, you can, you can have the blonde beer whenever you might be drinking white wine. It's something, you know, we had to kind of pitch it so, so that Italians could understand. Whenever you're having your antipasti, your, your pasta dishes with lighter sauces, when you might be drinking white wine, that's when you would drink the Birra Nursia Bionda. The other beer we have is called Extra. The style is Belgian Dark Strong Ale. It's 10%. It's not quite as heavy as some of the other examples of the style. So I kind of like to say it's, it's more towards being like a dark triple than, say, a quad. It's, it's uh, 10%. But still very, very drinkable, pretty smooth. We, we use sugar in it, of course. Uh, and that gives it drinkability. Uh, and then we use some Belgian specialty malts that give it, give it complexity and a couple different yeast strains in that as well. Both of our beers are re-fermented in the bottle. We aim for about 7 grams of CO2 per liter. And we offer them in the 330 ml and 750 ml bottles. All right, very good. This is a technical brewing show, so I want to hear even more about your process. But first, let's talk about the devastating events that happened after Father Martin returned to Norcia from the 2016 WBC. All right, so in, um, right after really that, that um, event in Denver, there was a series of earthquakes that struck central Italy, uh, the epicenter being not very far from, from Norcho. And um, we were very grateful and thankful that nobody died in our, in our town here. But uh, just about 30 miles away, uh, 300 people died. And uh, many, many buildings were severely damaged and, and declared un- unlivable. Um, our our basilica, our, which is uh, the church that we prayed in, uh, which it was built on top of the birthplace of uh, St. Benedict and his twin sister, St. Scholastica, uh, who were born there in the year 480. A beautiful church had been built over that site, and it, it came to the ground. The bell tower and the roof collapsed. Um, fortunately, and again, thankfully, we weren't in the building at the time of the earthquake um, because it, the earthquake was um, when we were away or out of the church, I should say. Um, and this uh, also had its effects on the brewery because um, half of the brewery was in part of the building of the monastery that was condemned due to damage. The, fortunately, the, the brewery didn't collapse. In fact, it was one of the only places of the whole entire monastery that still had a portion that was considered uh, operational. So we had to all move out. Um, and leave our building but the, the only part we could go back into and do anything <laughs> was the brewery so <laughs> the lord kind of uh preserved that for us at work and, and in fact we had beer in the fermenters during the time of the earthquake and then um uh, once we got back in we bottled it and made a special label for wow. the uh the, uh, the beer that was <laughs> the survived the earthquake it was called i love nursio <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> So I understand you're now utilizing another nearby brewery. Tell us about that. Um, with time, the the situation of brewing in town was was just getting more precarious as more work and construction was going on around um, the the 
the uh, the brewery uh, in town and we weren't sure what to do because we didn't want to close the brewery but we really needed to to brew elsewhere somewhere else and, and we didn't know what to do and uh, we got invited to an open house um of a new brewery that opened up about an hour away from us here in umbria and um so we went and and we began to just kind of explain our uh, predicament and our and our challenges that we were facing and the um the owner of that brewery just so generously um offered to us uh to help uh, in such a fraternal way to he said look well you can come and and, and brew on on my brewery on my equipment uh, and it was really really amazing the uh the um kind of generosity there and the um the helping out of another brewery in need the collaboration was uh has been wonderful and we're really grateful for it. it's been something i've been really inspired by uh, in the industry of craft brewing this um this brewery is called Mastery Birai Umbri, and another really neat thing about it is they have their own malting plant. They can do, I think, about 10 tons of malt in each batch. So they're working on this kind of big project to grow all of the malt for their brewery nearby in Umbria or in central Italy, malt it there at their, at their brewery. They have the maltery, the the malting facility and the brewing facility right next to each other, and then also sell this Italian craft malt to other breweries in Italy. So we're doing some experiments now with that malt in our beer to see if it fits with our recipe. But it's a really neat, really innovative place, and we're really enjoying being able to brew our beer there, and and very grateful for their for their generosity. So I go there and I brew our beers with their equipment, and that's sort of a temporary solution until we have our monastery rebuilt, that is the monastery on the mountainside, we can't really rebuild and build a new brewery until we have our, our house uh, house finished. And then we'll try to come to a solution for the brewery. But for now, I brew the beers somewhere else. Coming up. We've had to kind of adjust some temperatures, some aeration times, uh, the amount of yeast we use to try to bring things back to the way they were in town. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, proud partner of global hop breeder and merchant Hopsteiner. As one of the world's largest independently family-owned hop merchants, Hopsteiner has been connecting brewers with the choicest hops and hop products available since 1845. Explore Hopsteiner's unique and exciting hop varieties like Bravo, Calypso, Lemon Drop, Lotus, and Sultana, and more at bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash hops. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. 
domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Grist Analytics is the leading quality and production control software platform built by and for craft brewers. The unique cloud-based application gives the unprecedented ability to capture data your way and correlate it across the brewery. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and track brewery performance while listening to this podcast. Grist Analytics helps you skip past hours of sorting through spreadsheets and paper logs to making informed decisions that drive efficiency and deliver better beer with confidence. GristAnalytics.com. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Happy Hour slash Motuika Hopcore Rub is July 21st at Surly Brewing. District Georgia presents evaluation of aging beers with Jen Blair July 29th at Stats Brew Pub in Atlanta. District Texas holds its annual summer meeting at End of the Hills in Kerrville August 4th through the 6th. District Midwest has a summer meeting August 5th at the Yellow Springs Barrel Room. District Milwaukee meets at the Molson Coors Miller Inn September 21st. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science Course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's Fall Meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. I, I guess I'd like to talk a little bit more about how your beers are made. Uh, what else can you tell us about your process and and also how different is your process now that it has to unfold in, a, in, a, in another brewery? Maybe I'll answer the second part first. We... Um our old brew house in town in Norcha was 12 hectoliters. That's about 10 barrels. The new brewery where we brew now is 70 hectoliters. So that's, I think, like 60 barrels. 
and it's a it's a German German brew house made by Kasper Schulz. So there's a lot of really neat things there that you know I get to play with as a brewer. I really enjoy. They have a pre masher where as the grain it's milled, it gets a it kind of hits this metal cone inside this glass cylinder and is sprayed with water so it gets really hydrated so we get we get better conversion um the beers i think are more the the wort is more fermentable uh so we get kind of a drier leaner beer which which i think is a good thing and they also have a it's i think you call it a vacuum evaporator where the shoko after the boil the wort the wort then passes through this it looks like a giant mushroom. That's what we nicknamed it, the mushroom. But it passes through this mushroom under vacuum pressure, and that sucks off the DMS and some of the other unwanted volatiles. And it also cools it at the same time before it goes to the uh, heat exchanger. So it starts in the whirlpool, it goes through the mushroom, and then to the heat exchanger. So there's a lot of really neat things we can monitor more closely. The mash, uh, the boil, kind of fermentation. There's a lot more control, whether it's the the temperature of the fermentation, the cooling pulsation. There's all these really neat things that we can we can now kind of control and have a better handle on, which which I really appreciate. One thing that's changed a lot, also I think, with the uh, the bigger fermentation tanks, they have like one batch and double batch tanks. I think we've had to adjust our recipe a little bit because. Because of the the greater volume and I think the osmotic pressure from the from the height of the fermentation tanks, there's a little bit of change in the esters. Uh, seems like maybe a little bit of suppression. So we've had to kind of adjust some temperatures, some aeration times, uh, the amount of yeast we use to try to bring things back to the way they were in town. So it's it's been difficult, but also kind of fun to try to uh, dial everything in. That's great. Yeah, I, I think they call that system the Shoko or, or something like that. I remember when yeah, I was in great. when I was yeah. in brewing school in Berlin uh, that that had just come out, and we actually went over to Casper Schultz and visited their plant and uh, and met with them. But uh, that's pretty neat. I, I've never actually brewed on one though, so but it, it sounds pretty cool. Anything else unique about your process or special about your beer? I mean, one thing that I think is. Uh, kind of neat that we do we we normally try to do two batches so we we brew one batch and we we aerate it you know and pitch the yeast but then the next day we throw another batch on top of it um so we kind of try always if we if we are able to do two batches and so basically make a huge starter with the first batch uh we usually also we turn off the fermentation cooling at a certain point and let it free rise that's uh helps it finish well but also I think is good for the flavor. You have to be careful. You have to turn it off at the right time, not too early, not too late. You want it to finish, but you don't want it to get too hot. But we try to do kind of things like that, that I don't know if you see that done everywhere because a lot of people just don't, don't maybe know how to do it because you can definitely do it wrong if you don't know what you're doing. I, I might just add the, the obvious thing that I always think is just kind of fun, but I don't think... I don't think there are very many beers, actually. It's made by a monk. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And it's not worth... One of the unique things about... Um, well, it's a unique thing, but it's also can be a, ch- a challenge. But we um, we are small. We're not a, kind of an industrial size uh, monastic brewery. So um, 
a monk really does does the brewing and does the work. Um, and um, you know, when when a brewery gets gets very big, so you can imagine there can be a lot of at times there can be other other people and hands involved in the brewery process, perhaps at maybe larger monastic uh, brew houses. You guys obviously didn't attend uh, the WBC with the intent to just ignore advances in brewing science and technology. Talk about the balance between technology and tradition in a modern-day monastic brewery. One thing that's been interesting for me at this brewery where we brew now, uh, the whole whole brew house is more or less completely automated, Um, which is good. It allows you to make very consistent beer and of course you can also brew more batches in a day or you can you know the brewer can brew the beer and also clean tanks or you know he can do several things at once because the computer's brewing the beer but i really kind of miss a little bit the manual art where you're in there with your hands kind of you know manipulating the valve when you're laudering or even just racking out the grain, uh, the, the spent grain after, after the mash, there's some things that in a way you're relieved, you don't have to do them, but you kind of miss the, the hands-on art approach, which is really what makes brewing or, or any other thing we do really human when you're, when you're really doing it with your hands. So I think, you know, going forward, we're going to, and God willing, we'll be able to build our own brewery here on the mountainside. We'll have to think carefully about what we want automated and what we still do manually. Because from the first place, a human being can do it better. He's not always able to do it as consistently, but when he's doing it well, he can do it better than the automation system. Brother, if you get ever get too nostalgic, you're welcome to um, come to Virginia and shovel out my mesh uh, for me. It's no problem. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, once I'm doing it, I say, hmm, I really want to spin grain pump and auger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so how, tell us, how, how are the conditions in the town of Norshin now as we come up on almost three years since the earthquakes began? Yeah, it's um, things are generally slower here in Italy um, by American standards. I'd say there are... Um, a lot of uh, permissions and uh, there's a bit of bureaucracy and things. It, there, there is progress, but it's it's very slow. Um, I mean, for for example, the the basilica still has rubble in our church. That's the basilica still has some rubble inside of it. Um, but it, it's it's complicated though because so many things are so um, of such of historical value that the state's very involved in preservation and so they don't just let anyone come in and clean up things and start rebuilding it's a kind of a very programmed and um kind of calculated reconstruction but that that does take time and so things are still quite slow and many many of the townspeople um still the majority of them still do not live in their homes um, in the town, they they live in temporary prefab homes that the state built for them um, in the surrounding fields of the town. So inside the old city walls, coming on three years later, there's a few shops on the main street um, that are open and a few restaurants, but uh, it's still 
not what it was before and not not anywhere near uh, being rebuilt as it was before. Norcia was an important town for tourism, even among Italians. A lot of Italians would come here, especially in the summer, to come to the mountains where it's a little bit cooler, but also to eat. Norcia is famous for its truffles, for its prosciutto, for its lentils. And the difficult thing, some of the restaurants were reopened, but we're still lacking almost all the hotels and places to stay that we used to have. So without the rooms for people to spend the night, the whole tourism industry has really suffered. I see. All right. Um, you obviously believe that beer is good and that it has a place within Catholic culture. Talk about that. Yeah, and the, and the church uh, sees anything that's authentically human and that uh, builds up the social aspect of human nature and beer used or, or drank in mod, um, used in moderation and, and appropriately uh, has that social quality and aspect to it that um, can really help um, bring people together. And the church always sees things like that in, in the Catholic Church as um, some things that can be they're kind of lifted up in a way and and um, made made a, a kind of a divine thing for lack of a better word. That is that um, anything that's authentically human helps build that social experience and the encounter between human persons um, can be an element that gives glory to God um, because um, that's. That's we believe his his will for us is to uh, live in in peace and harmony and communion. And so, if um, something is used appropriately in moderation, can help build that, then it gives service to God as well. And in fact, the the motto for our um, our beer um, for the brewery is a little Latin phrase um, from one of the Psalms. It's in the Latin phrase is ut laetificet cor, um, and it comes from the Psalm verse that speaks about wine so that uh, wine might uh, gladden uh, the heart, might gladden men's heart. And we took that phrase from uh, Scripture and, and applied it to beer, um, that when used um, appropriately uh, and in moderation, it can give that kind of joy uh, to the heart of man um, that can gladden him and uh, the others that he's in the company with. Uh, Father, as we wrap up here, I'd like to ask you to offer a quick blessing for our listeners as well as all the brewers out there throughout the world. Okay, great. Um, well, we, we say our prayers in Latin, so I'll, I'll do it in Latin. Dominus vobiscum. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti, descendat super vos et maniat semper. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I feel like I need to say, like, this podcast has ended go in peace or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) 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 That was Father Martin and Brother Augustine of Bira Norcia here on the Master Brewers podcast. By the way, not only do the monks of Norcia brew beer, in 2015 they released a billboard-topping album of chants. You can help support their rebuilding process, follow along, or find links to purchase their album or beer at norcia.org. That's N-U-R-S-I-A dot org. 
I'll add some links to the show notes. You can even sign up for the Brew Monks Club to have their beer delivered to your door monthly or bi-monthly. I just got my first taste of both the Blonde and the Extra, both of which are really high-quality beers that held up perfectly from Italy all the way to Virginia. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.